Thank you very much, Karen, for ministering in music. Let's pray together. Thanks, Father, for being our Savior. Thank you for the victory that we have in Christ. And it's our desire to live in response to that victory, response to the grace that you've expressed through Christ as we are doers of your word. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. <clears throat> Last week and this week, taking a little time just to discuss in a different way perhaps children and teen ministries and see how far we get this morning. Try to draw some conclusions if we get that far this morning. But as we begin, you see I have a pile of blocks here and a ball. If anyone is willing to take the challenge, I would like for you to take this ball and leave it on the table. You cannot put anything around it. It's got to be able to move wherever. And take all these blocks and build a house on top of the ball. And some of you will probably think about that for a long time and say, there's got to be a way to do it. Well, if you think a long time and figure it out, let me know. But we'll come back to that a little later. Also, I want you to think about my mother. A number of years ago, she went to the doctor and she was told that she had some blockages. You know, and she should have bypass surgery. So the doctor comes in and says, Orpha, you know, you have some blockages. The norm is that you should have bypass surgery, but we're going to recommend something different. We're going to put you in some blood thinner. And you go home and you should be fine. And I'm sure my sister, one of my brothers or I would have gone to the doctor and said, doctor, you know, is that your final conclusion? Yeah, well, if that's your final conclusion, bye. We'll go for a second opinion. Because it's not dealing with the issue. And as I reflect on Christianity at points in time, I think sometimes we are trying to use blood thinner rather than doing bypass surgery to deal with blockages. I think sometimes we're trying to build something on a round ball without structuring some type of foundation. And I will say up front this morning that I desire for children and teens to be responsive biblically, to hear the message of Christ, to come to Christ, and to grow into adulthood desiring God. But I think at times we probably need to step back and just ask ourselves, what has God designed to take place? The nature of the battle, we looked at some items last week. We'll look at a couple more this week. As it relates to seeking to respond to children and to teenagers, there is a huge, massive, there's a huge, massive 
you subculture, both Christian and secular, which lures teens and young adults to remain teens, young adults in their thinking, their worldview, their walk with Christ. We adopt and many times accept the adolescent mentality of the world. For example, we think teens will act like teens. Scripture seems to communicate that teens should be acting somewhat like adults and moving in that direction. We're slow to give them a responsibility. Many churches, let's not give teens too much responsibility. Can an 18-year-old teach Scripture? Not looking for a response. Just think about it. You know, what can they do? Can an 18-year-old effectively lead a group of children. Many times we don't treat them as developing adults, you know, in the world, in the body of Christ. We hear sometimes we need to adopt their music style to reach them, whatever their music style might be. Parents are slow to give too much responsibility to teens. We keep thinking and responding as if teens need to be with teens a lot. There's nothing wrong with teens being teen with teens, but we may plan it and we may promote it. You know, we, we become so effective at this that we name generations. No, I'm in the baby boomer generation. We have the generation X. No, we have the millennials now. And we have, you know, generation names. Do you ever stop to think that God did not design it that way? So we got the baby boomers. This is the way they are. And we got the millennials and, you know, in-betweens and so on. And each of those generations developed their subculture. The baby boomers. When they were teenagers, there was a baby boomer subculture when they were teenagers. They have taken that subculture along with them and in their older age, they follow that subculture. And many of them have never become adults. Because part of the baby boomer subculture is to be individualistic, to be selfish, to be materialistic, to want that material item. And to a large extent, we still live the baby boomer culture, those of us who are baby boomers. Well, then we have the next generation. They have their subculture. And we say, if we're going to reach people, if we're going to reach each generation, we need to adapt to their subculture. And I'm not saying their subculture is right or wrong, but I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 18. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. Let's offer them something beyond that. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. And in verse 20, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? 
Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles, but those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Whatever the subculture, it's Christ. That is the power of God. If we're going to reach the baby boomers, we need to use this. If we're going to reach the millennials, use this. If we're going to reach Generation X, use this, and so on. And I'm not saying all methods are wrong or right or whatever, but it's the gospel. It's Christ. And tied in with that, let's offer our children and teens something better than always trying to adapt to the culture. Pastor, elders, deacons, ministry leaders, teachers who love God and delight in Him and find a satisfaction in Him. Pastor, elders, deacons, ministry leaders, teachers who know Christ and experience Him 24-7. Those who are walking in the Spirit 24-7 who love their neighbors themselves. Please understand, we can offer people whatever they want, whatever their age, whatever their generation, but it's Christ. It's our transforming lives through the gospel that is impacting people. So if I stand up here and I expound the word of God and I go home and treat Ruth Ann in a manner different than her being the church and I being Christ, then my preaching is basically in vain. How about older saints and grandparents who have a significant role in their lives who love God, delight in Him and find satisfaction in Him, who know Christ and experience Him as their life, who are walking in the Spirit and who are loving their neighbor as themselves. Here you are, a 35-year-old raising your children, trying to train your young adults who we many times times called teens or adolescents, how to love God. And a younger or an older person comes to you and says, I've been watching you. I see your desire is right. Let me give you some counsel on just how to take care of your children or grandparent coming along. Offering biblical corporate worship, which is critical. A father and a mother who loves God, delights in him and finds satisfaction in him who knows Christ and is walking with him, one who is walking in the Spirit, loving their neighbor as themselves. Will you say someone gets saved and they don't have a mom and dad who is there? Well, that's where the older saints kick in and, you know, seek to spur them on. But they then, someone gets saved in their teen years, they get married, they can begin to the cycle of being godly parents.
Another thing that we battle with in Christian circles is that our current Christian culture presents and many times encourages parents and teens to do the following. Get a good paying job, plan to go to college so take, take classes accordingly in high school. Go to college so you can get a good paying job. Debt for college is fine. Get a job that pays well with good benefits and a retirement plan. Retire as early as possible. Wait for marriage until you're through college and settled. Be well set financially before you have children. What is missing in that counsel? Love God and delight in God. And I'm not knocking any of the things that I mentioned before, but how about knowing Christ is also missing. I would much sooner have someone graduate from college loving God, and it took them 10 years to get through college due to a host of reasons, than to have them graduate from college and get a good paying job and not loving God. Just walking in the Spirit. What do you do? You want to go to college, you're going to accumulate this massive debt. What do I do? An older saint, grandparents, or parents come along and say, let's walk in the Spirit, let's seek God, let's determine how He is leading. Does God want this debt or doesn't He? You know, just loving your neighbor. So you retire with $5 billion. But are you loving your neighbor? Be a good, or be a God, delighting in God, man or woman. Son, daughter, as you go off to college, my greatest passion is that you graduate being a godly man who delights in Christ, or a godly woman who delights in Christ. I want you to have a marriage that pictures Christ in the church. So as you think about making decisions concerning the future, one of the things is to have a marriage that pictures Christ in the church. Giving the counsel that godly offspring is a basic calling of life. Let's not have children. Let's have, you know, just wait forever. I'm not telling you when to have children, but Scripture talks about godly offspring. Contentment with godliness. So you got your house. You got your good job. Are you content? You don't have a house and you don't have a good job. Are you content? Godliness with contentment. And just the whole issue of laying up treasure in heaven. Trusting God to meet your needs. I'm amazed at God's working in our stupidity sometimes. He's gracious. Ruth and I get married. She was 20 and I was, or I was 20 and she was 19. You know, I robbed the cradle by some people's standards. We loved each other. Ruth Ann's mother said, you'll never make it in marriage. You're both so stubborn. And we decided we're stubborn enough that we'll never admit we can't make it. So we will make it. So we go off to Tennessee together. I already had a year and a half of college in. 
and uh, we thought she would find a job, and she couldn't find a job. So we decided she would go to school too. Now that's real smart, isn't it? Now we're accumulating more expense. Well, she went to school and finally, you know, our car broke down and I called dad and said, dad, you know, I'm, we're in straight, dire straits here, you know. I, I deliver newspapers and my car broke down this morning. I don't know what I'm gonna do. You know, you think you'd be willing to give me some money? Loan me some money, you know, I wasn't expecting him just to give it. He said, sure, Dan, how much do you want? I told him, told him. I never knew where he got the money. He just, I figured he always had enough to give it away. <laughs> <clears throat> Later on, I find out that uh, he probably borrowed it. And he said, Dan, there'll be no interest. I said, okay. I said, I'll pay you back someday. And in God's grace, He worked in the midst of our stupidity. I eventually got a job that paid fairly well. Ruth Ann got a job, you know, as a hostess in an IHOP restaurant, which wasn't her giftedness, but no, she did find the waitressing part would probably not more of her giftedness. God and grace worked in our lives. So my, where I'm coming from is that when you go back to some of these items, I think it's so important that we discuss these as we talk to our children, our grandchildren, we talk to younger saints and so on. Not merely discuss the job. Not merely discuss the income. Not merely discuss the college. And there's nothing wrong in discussing them but bringing into play some other issues. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Matthew chapter 22. <clears throat> Jesus is forever being cornered, and people are trying to get him into trouble. <clears throat> In Matthew 22 and verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. The Sadducees, you know, didn't believe in a resurrection and so on, and Jesus silenced them. And in verse 35, one of them, one of the Pharisees, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, Jesus is basically saying, you can take the entire Mosaic law and sum it up in love God and love your neighbor. It's an issue of love. Love God, love your neighbor. And many times we stop there. Where does Christ come into the picture? If all we do is deal with the Mosaic law, we don't have Christ in the picture. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Paul, as he writes to the church in Ephesus, in Philippians 3, and in chapter 3 he is dealing with not placing confidence in himself and in the flesh, but rather in Christ. And in verse 10, Philippians 3 and verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering 
becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Old Testament, love God, love your neighbor. New Testament, Christ is on the scene. I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing his sufferings, being like him in his death. We won't turn there, but in Galatians 5, it talks about walking in the spirit, fellowship of the spirit. That's why I bring up the items listed on the wall now. They tie in with loving God, loving your neighbor, delighting in Christ, wanting to know Christ, and fellowshipping with the Spirit. We have an unsaved teen who's been befriended by a saved teen. The saved teen invites the unsaved teen into his home so that this unsaved teen can just see how a godly family functions. There's a group of guys going backpacking, so the saved teen invites the unsaved teen, and the father of the saved teen invites the father of the unsaved teen to go backpacking. At another point in time, the saved family invites the unsaved family just into their home and they spend some time playing games and so on. And the unsaved teen is over at the saved teen's house one night and as is the custom of the family, they sit after supper, they have family devotions and the unsaved teen is invited, invited just to stay and observe and they just go on like, that's the way life is. That's reaching a teenager and his family perhaps in a different way. Not limited to inside the four walls, but outside the four walls. I want you to think about the drawing that is in the wall behind me. At the very base is God's glory. God is passionate about his glory. He wants glory for himself. Listen as I read a verse from Isaiah, and again, I'm leaping in the context, but Isaiah 42 and verse 8, I am the Lord, this is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. And you can find that repeated in different ways in the book of Isaiah and related passages. At the very core is a passion for God's glory. Then creator God. God being creator is very, very critical, very, very important. Christ, the living word, the written word is critical. Then a pastor, elders, deacons, who are walking with God, seeking to be sensitive to God. Oh, they haven't arrived. God's grace is still at work in them, but seeking to walk with God. 1 Timothy chapter 3 would imply that I as a pastor am not qualified as a pastor until I am taking care of my own family. 
If I'm going to shepherd a church, I need to be shepherding my own family. If I'm going to be leading a church, I need to be leading my own family. Corporate worship and body life is critical. Believers coming together to worship together is critical. Because a lot of what happens in the family is dependent upon what happens in worship and what happens in body life. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, 1 Corinthians 12, bringing that out very clearly. And then grandparents and older saints. You say, why do you put grandparents underneath men and women or marriages and parents? Grandparents and older saints I put underneath because of the Old Testament and I think the New Testament that... I, as a parent, need to be teaching and training my children, younger saints. And that becomes a backdrop for ongoing generations. You say, well, let's just reach the teens, and we'll get the teens to think the way we want to. Hitler tried that, and it failed. Hitler went primarily for young people. It didn't last because there was no plan. Many died because of that. I understand that. But what he had in mind did not go on. Jesus selected 12 men who are going to equip others. So we have a man in his 20s. He's struggling with being a man. And he finds an older guy, excuse me, Daniel, <laughs> older guy like Daniel and says, Daniel, help me be a man. Daniel says, sure, let's hang around together. Let's worship together. We have a younger woman who was abused, <clears throat> who doesn't begin to understand what it means to be a woman who's willing to yet let men use her. And God's grace begins to work in her life. And she says to Jan, Jan, I messed up. Can you help me to understand what it means to be a godly woman so that someday I can have a godly marriage and someday have godly offspring? That's why I put grandparents and older saints where I did. Then men, just men being men, women being women in light of the biblical teaching. Then marriages, husband and wife. And then a father and a mother and then children. Let this ball represent children and teens. You can take that ball and you can put it on the bottom and let's say do what, we want to do what we can for children, we want to do what we can for teenagers and we'll build upon that. You can do what you want but it's not going to last. For quite a number of years, we in American Christianity have put the ball on the bottom. Let's reach children. Let's reach teens. And I'm not opposed to reaching children and teens. Please understand. And other things on the drawing have been neglected. 
reaping the consequences. I think the order is somewhat biblical, and I'm not, I think it comes from Scripture. They're all important, but one depends upon another. Please understand that what happens in church leadership is very important. What happens behind closed doors in my home and the homes of our elders and the homes of deacons is critical to the well-being of families, the well-being of men and women in our church. What's happening behind the closed doors of older saints in their homes and grandparents is critical. You say, why? Because that's the foundation. Pastor and elders are to lead in context of corporate worship and body life. Corporate worship is vital. It's important. We need grandparents and older saints who can encourage, be an example, teach, counsel, give wisdom, be the power source behind people, younger people, just to be godly. I'll admit that I was not very wise when I got married in being a husband. What did I need? Some 60 or 70-year-old guy coming alongside to me and say, Dan, I've been watching you. You've been a jerk of a husband. I love you and I care for you. Let me help you. For those of who are married and you have children, much, much more important than what you do with your children is how you relate to your mate. That's why I put children at the top after marriage. Parents are primarily responsible for children, but yet God wants to bring others into their lives. And I think that can be a value of a young people's ministry where we bring the life, other people into their lives to supplement what parents are doing. Over the last 50 to 70 years in the body of Christ, we have taken the top part of the pyramid and placed it on the bottom or near the bottom. We have degrees for children, ministries, youth pastors, counseling, but no degrees for a corporate worship pastor, a body life pastor, a grandparenting pastor, a developing older saints pastor, a men and women's pastor, a marriage pastor, a parents pastor, a glory of God pastor, or Christ alone pastor. We can take the very top area of children and teens and do what we want in that area. But unless we're taking care of 
and making sure the other things behind, below it are moving in the correct direction. It's like my mother going to the doctor and saying, take blood thinner for blockages. Not opposed to children or teens. That's not where I'm coming from. I'm merely saying, at this point in our history as a body of Christ, local church and nationwide, let's stop and think about some of these other areas if you're going to do anything in the top one. I'm going to ask some hard questions, and I'm not looking for a response. Is God's glory our passion? Is God's glory our passion? Do we make Creator God vital in our teaching as older saints in marriages and in our families? Is Creator God critical? Do we make and teach a biblical Christ? that Christ is our life, that I can't live the Christian life. This morning as I was praying for a service this morning, I had to say, God, I can't even preach this morning. Oh, I can get up and I can say a bunch of words, but it's all in vain if Christ is not working in me and he's my life. Getting a little more personal now. Am I as our pastor modeling God's design? as a man, as a husband, as a father. That's critical. Are our elders and deacons modeling God's design in the marriage? In dealing with their children, being men who love God, delight in Him, walk with God, Enjoy Christ, fellowship with the Spirit in their day-by-day -day living. Are we practicing biblical worship with God? Not what we desire, but with God as our audience. And saying, God, are you pleased with our worship? Are we practicing biblical body life? Caring for one another, desiring to minister to one another. An example, Dixie mentioned encouragement cards and so on, people praying. That's part of body life. Now let me push that a little closer home. Do I as a pastor practice body life or do I live more like an island? There, God has dealt with me over the years that I'm not an individual. I can't be a baby boomer in my mindset. I need to grow up into adulthood and be a body and let others share with me. So who do I share when I'm struggling? Who do I share with when I have a great joy? I would ask the same about our elders and our deacons. Are they practicing biblical body life? Whether they share joys and struggles, they encourage, they spur one another on, on and so on. You say, well, let's worry about children. No, let's make sure that area, or these two areas, corporate worship, body, and life, being modeled by pastors, elders, and deacons are in order. 
and then godly older saints, grandparents. And excuse me for using a name, and I hope you don't mind Kathy. Kathy came to Christ as a teenager, if I'm remembering right. Did not go, grow up in a godly home. And what did she need? Some older saints, some grandparents, if you please, of that age who would come alongside her and care for her and minister to her. So that's God's design. Those of us who are over 60, for sake of example, whether you be a man and a woman, man or woman, who are we investing our lives in? in? Someone under 50 or under 40 or under 30 or a teenager that we love and we care for and helping them to love God and to walk with God, to be a man and a woman and to delight in Christ. Don't buy into the baby boomer mindset of retiring. If you retire from work, okay, I'm not talking that. I'm talking retiring from Christ. We say, and I've heard this over and over again, and I've said it, boy, the younger generation just isn't what we were. Well, who raised them? We did. Pour your life into them. Let's not find fault with them. Pour your life into them. And I'm not talking seeing them inside the four walls. I'm talking spending time with them, practicing body life. Hanging out with them. Go shopping with them. Go out to eat. Go hunting with them. Go backpacking. I don't care what. But just pour your life. Let them see you live. You say, I have nothing to offer. Well, then get busy loving God. Loving others and loving Christ and walking in the Spirit. So we have something to offer. Another question. Are our men being God's design for men. Passionately taking responsibility, passionately trying to display the image of God, and so on. Or are women being God's design for women? Helpers, companions to their husbands if married if not married, walking in sensitivity to the Spirit? Or are marriages picturing Christ in the church? So that this younger couple who grew up in what we might call terrible backgrounds, observe Ray and Sharon and say, hmm, We're not like them. And they say to Ray and Sharon, Ray and Sharon, we don't know anything about this God stuff. But we fight like cats and dogs. We both grew up in homes where mom and dad didn't get along. And we have no idea what we're to do. Now, please hear me out on this. We go to bed together, and that's about all we do, other than fight and carry on. Can you help us? Ray and Sharon say, sure, come to church. No. They say, come on over to our house tonight. Let's just hang out tonight.
and hang out a while, and the couple leaves, and Ray says to Sharon, Ray, uh, did we do anything profitable tonight? <laughs> oh, yeah, we were hanging out with this couple that doesn't know anything. And the couple leaves and thinks, where'd they come from? They didn't yell at each other. Ray even helped Sharon do something. And Sharon said, in very kind words, some things to Ray. You think we could go again? Sometimes we think we need to give so much. And we need to get someone inside the four walls immediately. When God wants us to help men to be men. Yes, corporate worship is important. We already discussed that. But that's not where a lot of people are. Within the last week, I talked to a guy, known him for 20 years. Particularly in the last six months, I've had a fairly substantial impact on his life. And within the last week, he made it. Or a statement was made to me about him, and I thought, oh, after all these years and him seeing believers, God's starting to work in his grace. Teaching men to be men. Are men and our women being godly men and women? Are marriages pitching Christ in the church? Are our fathers training up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Are they training up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? I mentioned this in the men's class. Guys, part of training up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is to pursue them. Just love them where they are. And when they do wrong, pursue them. When they do right, pursue them. When they do halfway between, between pursue them. Care for them. Minister to them. Are our mothers supporting their husbands and training their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? I say this in due credit to my mother. At least when I was home, my mother followed my father's leadership. Even though she did not always agree, she would respect him and seek to honor him. That had a profound impact on me as a son. Because she was seeking to be what God called her to be. And by mom's own admission, after us three older guys left home, some things started to take place in the home that shifted that some. And that had a different impact on my younger brother and my sister. Just mom and the way she responded to my dad, to my father. We have an eight-year-old girl with mom and dad who are divorced. She was sexually abused by her dad. She hangs out with your daughter who, due to school, they both go to school together. She's invited by your daughter to play at your home. Mom calls 
the girl's mother and invites the mom for a meal. Some ladies are getting together for scrapbooking and the girl's mother is invited. Don't worry about cost. We'll supply whatever you need. Mom and daughter are invited to a fun sports night of six to eight families, you know, just six or eight families getting together. Mother and daughter invited to your family for just a fun night and you follow your normal pattern in family living. That's living out that pyramid. The issue is not so much our ministries for children or teens. You know, be sure that they're structured correctly. They're in a distant background. The central concern must be the order shown in the pyramid. We may do shifts in children's and teen ministries, but basically worthless apart from having the other items moving in the correct direction. The body of Christ is together several hours a week for worship, Sunday school, one and teens. The home is to have children, teens for hours a week. The primary focus, therefore, must be upon the bottom of the pyramid. And many times we push older saints out of the picture. No. They're critical. say more tonight, but the bottom line conclusion, it would be this. The elders and I think that probably some things we can do up here. But our primary focus is going to be are we in order, corporate worship, body life, grandparents, and so on, and seeking to pursue some of that. Just saying, Oh, yeah, we're doing pretty good here, but we can make some adjustments over here. And yes, there are some things we can do in terms of children's ministry, and we'll try to say more about that in the very near future. But we don't want to think that if we address merely children, we can tweak some things in a one, or we tweak some things with teen or in Sunday school, that everything's going to be fine. We still need to address these. So one of the hard questions that will be asked by some people to me is, Dan, Pastor Dan, are you a godly man? Are you leading your wife? Are you leading your husband? I mean your children, I'm sorry. Getting my mix all talked up here. That's critical. Elders, deacons, leaders, you say, we haven't arrived, we're not perfect. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about moving the correct direction. And then encouraging one another, spurring one another on so that we have something in Awana and we bring in, excuse the terminology here, an old man. We invite Bill Killian and Chip Sorber to come. And they're going to speak to the guys and the pals and pioneers. And then they're going to do something in council time. 
and then they're going to hang out with the guys some night during the week at their, of their choosing. A 15-year-old who is a rebel attempted to lead some saved teens down the wrong path. The fathers of the teens guide their sons in how to love and resist peer pressure. One of the teens' families invites the teen and his alcoholic father to an informal cookout for, that several men are having. They reach out to him in various ways. They take this alcoholic father and the son, a couple of guys in the church take him fishing. They invite the son over to work, do some things around the house. And they lovingly reach out to father and son to reach the father and the son. Beloved, in the areas that are here, I don't think we're doing everything wrong. It's not my point. But I think we need to step back and ask questions and just say, are we in the correct track? Are we helping people to be in the correct track? Are we encouraging them along the way as we may do some things in the area of children? Some may say, don't you care about kids? I care about kids enough and teenagers enough that we seek to follow God's pattern. And if that means some adjusting, we make adjustments. If that means encouraging some things that we're doing well, then we encourage that. Let's not try to build on a ball. Let's put the ball on the top after we have built and are in the process of building other items. Let's not go to the doctor and have him say, you have several blockages, I'll put you on blood thinners. Let's go to God, who is our doctor, and he says, this is what I desire. Will we accept the blood thinner? No. We say we want to bypass surgery done. Whatever that involves, do it. For God's honor, for God's glory. Let's pray together.